Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. One of my favorites, so love the invitation of the Lord, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Lord, over these next few moments, we've prayed for comfort, we've prayed for peace. Uh, We've prayed for those who are weary and burdened that they might find rest in you. But Lord... I'm praying that we will learn from you today, that we will learn your rhythms, that we will learn your pace, that we will learn your path, the path that you have for us. God, help us to embrace your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jesus said in this passage, learn from me. Learn from me. Inviting them to come to him if they're weary and burdened. But Jesus says, come to me and learn from me. It was customary for rabbis to have disciples. And it was customary for the disciples to want to be as close as they could to their rabbi in order to learn from him. Two centuries before Jesus was on planet earth in the flesh, one rabbi said this to those who wanted to learn. said, powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirstiness. The idea was this, committed disciples would stick close to to the rabbi, to their teacher. They would stick so close that it was like when the rabbi walked and kicked up dust, they were so close because they didn't want to miss anything that the rabbi said that they would get dust on them. And it was the dust coming from the rabbi. They were so close because they didn't want to miss even one word. And so they're just like bumping up against the rabbi, and so came the phrase in Jewish culture, be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And in this passage, in Matthew chapter 11, the hearers of that day would have really understood what Jesus was talking about when Jesus said, come to me, learn from me, be my disciples. It sticks so close that even as I'm walking, as you're trying to listen to anything I might say, that even the dust from my sandals would get on you. Be that close. Lean in that close so that you don't miss anything. And on that day, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is inviting these people to come even closer to him, to embark on an adventure of learning from him. And so as I was uh, digging into this passage over the last several weeks, I really uh, had this thought, like, well, I wonder what Jesus was going to teach them next. Like, what was going to be the first lesson that Jesus would give right after saying, come to me and learn from me. And so I just continued to read in this passage, and it turns into Matthew chapter 12. And what we'll notice is that Jesus did not begin his first lesson, at least as is recorded in Scripture, after the invitation to come and learn. He did not begin with a formal sermon. He didn't begin with, okay, sit down, now I'm going to teach you, which would be a common way for the rabbi to teach his disciples. Interestingly, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus taught them in another way. He took them on a field trip. How many remember one of your favorite field trips as a kid? Wasn't it so great to get out of the school building and go out in the real world and learn? 
go mobile. All of us probably had opportunities to do field trips. A couple of the ones that my kids have gone on, I haven't told them, but I was like, man, that's lame, like where they went. Like I was just like, that was lame. One time they took uh, took my daughter as a field trip to Meijer. I'm like, okay, they have good food there, but come on, field trip? When I was a kid, I remember... Excited. You get the permission slip sign. You make your sack lunch in the morning, like extra fruit roll-ups. Because this is a field trip, you're going to be on the road. You need to have some sustenance. And so you turn in your permission slip and you get onto the bus. And I was more of like trying to get in the back seat of the bus. Anybody else? Because it was bumpier back there. You hit those bumps and you're like, this is like Cedar Point. Boom. This is, this is awesome. I, that was where I like to sit, going on field trips. My, my, I think my favorite field trip was when I was a kid growing up in Indiana. We went to the RCA Dome, which is where the Indianapolis Colts played. That was cool as a little kid, walking through there. I'd never been to a, a, an NFL game, walking into this huge dome, got to step on the field. And all of us were young enough where we thought, yeah, one day we'll be there. <laughs> Pretty much, like, we're going to be there. That didn't happen. Field trips were great because you got out of the normal and you went outside into the real world. And that's what Jesus did in teaching his disciples that day. Come to me, learn from me. All right, you ready? You're here, you're sticking right behind me? All right, let's go. And that's exactly what happened. Matthew chapter 12 says, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Please notice with me in this text the stark contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. This was mapping out to be somewhat of a normal day. They were walking along. Jesus did that a lot with his disciples on this particular day. They were walking through the grain fields. And at one point as they're walking along, hunger pangs hit the disciples. We all know what that feels like. Maybe now that I just passed out a pie, some of you are feeling it right now. You're feeling some hunger. You know what that feels like. The disciples were, were, were guys. They were human. They, they felt this hunger. And so they're walking along. They didn't have anything in their pockets. And so they uh, saw the grain and they began to pick the heads of grain and began to eat it. They saw the available food source, and they began to consume. Many of us can relate to that. If it's edible, partially edible, give it to us, and we'll eat it. And that's what these guys were doing as they were walking along. Now, understand that as they were walking along, the Pharisees were also tagging along. The Pharisees were religious leaders and teachers of that day, very religious, and they were watching The disciples were following Jesus, eating the grain, in order to learn from Jesus. They were in his dust. They wanted to learn from him. The Pharisees were watching for another reason. They were watching to see if Jesus would mess up. They were watching with their notebook ready to say, "Mm, canceled, Jesus did this, canceled, that's not acceptable. And as they were walking along, The Pharisees recognized that this day was the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath, as as many of us know, is one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And as I referenced several weeks ago, the Jewish scholars 
over the years began to add to it. They began to add explanation for what remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy really means. And so they added 39 categories of what it means to keep the Sabbath day holy. And then in those 39 categories, they created many, many subcategories to the point where by the time Jesus is walking in the grain fields with his disciples, there are literally thousands of subrules to the subcategories of the 39 categories that God never came up with, man did. And as soon as the Pharisees sniffed out one of their subrules being broken, picking grain on the Sabbath, they cried out their favorite word, guilty. Look at these disciples. Look at what they're doing. It's unlawful to do. Jesus, look at your guys. They're following you and they're doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath day. They didn't care if the disciples were hungry. They were guilty. I think it's very, very, very sad that none of the Pharisees reached into their backpacks and pulled out a granola bar to give to these hungry travelers. The only thing they pulled out was judgment. They didn't lend a helping hand. All they pulled out of their backpack was judgment. And they're looking at these disciples with disdain. They're pointing their fingers at them, calling them out in front of everybody. He's like, are you serious? Don't they even know that rule? That they're not supposed to pick grain? Because that's work on a Sabbath? Don't, he, don't they even know that? Who are these people? They're uneducated. They're common. They obviously don't love God. Pharisees are like, they probably didn't even wash their hands, which was another sub-rule. These guys are gross. Like, how could they do that? Pharisees are like, I would never do that. Aren't you glad that none of us in this room ever judge anyone? The reality is, this is a loving church. This is the most loving group of people I have ever been around in my entire life. And this church has proven again and again that we do love people. However, none of us are perfect. And all of us as human beings have a tendency to judge people. All of us are tempted to slip into judgmentalism. All of us are. And there are times when... As we've slipped into judgmentalism, we use certain tools of judgment. The first one I'll talk about is this. It's the, the magnifying glass of judgment. Now what do we do with the, the magnifying glass? Look at what they're doing. Oh my goodness. Did you see what she was wearing? We look in there. and Did, did, you, did you notice how their kids are acting? I can't believe that. Look at them like, what? Did you hear how they voted and they call themselves a Christian? Come on. Looking through the magnifying glass. Did you see what she was wearing? Are you serious? See, we kind of like the magnifying glass because when we are looking through the magnifying glass at other people's faults or shortcomings or questionable choices, we aren't seeing our own. We, we kind of like the magnifying glass because when we're looking through the magnifying glass at someone else's issues or problems or shortcomings or whatever it might be, it makes their issues and shortcomings and faults much bigger, right, than ours. 
side by side, like, oh my goodness. Oh, that's not really that big of a deal. The magnifying glass. It makes what others do seem so much bigger and so much worse. There are times when we like picking up the magnifying glass of judgment. Then there are times that, that we like picking up the binoculars of judgment. Looking out. All right. Are you serious? I cannot believe they posted that online and they called themselves a Christian. I, I, they go to church? Shocker. I've seen what they said. I saw what they did. Like, I cannot believe. Whoa, 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 whoa. That person is on the worship team? Now, we love the binoculars of judgment because it keeps us at a safe distance from someone's hurt and from someone's need. Right? We like this because it, it keeps us a safe distance so that they aren't close enough to see our faults and shortcomings and issues and questionable choices. It creates distance. And when we use the magnifying glass and when we use the binoculars of judgment, what we are doing is we are accusing others while excusing ourselves. Accusing others while excusing ourselves. I might not be perfect, but at least I don't do that. I might overeat sometimes, but at least I don't get drunk like so-and-so. I might watch certain videos at times, but at least I'm not having an affair like you-know-who. I might share some juicy information at times, but I don't slander like that person. You see what I'm saying? When we use the binoculars or the magnifying glass and looking at people and their challenges and issues in their life, what happens is we get into a rut where we can be accusing other people while excusing ourselves. In other words, holding others to a different set of rules. Now, a number of years ago when my son uh, Eric was younger, he was playing soccer over here at the soccer complex. And he, he comes off the field and comes up to me and says, Dad, look at my thumb. And I, I, I look down at his thumb like, oh, my goodness, the thumb is not supposed to be there. Okay, like that is not right. And my, the first words out of my mouth after all oh, was, let's go to the emergency room. I mean, it was that bad, that bad. And so I rush him over. We get him into my Toyota Corolla at that time. And I'm just like, going as fast as I can because he was in so much pain. I felt horrible for him. I'm praying for him, and I'm trying not to look at it. It is ugly, ugly, bent the wrong way. You're one of those. And so I'm going as fast as I can. I mean, yes, there are stoplights, but I, I'm, I'm trying to get through stuff as quick as I can. I don't care about anything else. You ever had a, a morning like that when you're late to work, you wake up late, and you're just like passing lane, like, boom, going as fast as you can to get past people. And you're like, and if people are honking or they're flipping you off, you're like, calm down, people. I woke up late. My job is important. I had to feed my kids. Calm down, okay? I know what I'm doing. And then on the way home from work, someone zips past you. I hope they get caught. <laughs> or the worst, you're in line because the construction zone has come down. You get over like everybody else, and then someone just going like this, and then they cut in front of you. Why? Because they think they're more important than we are. 
They're better than the rest of us. Who do they think? And if they have a nice car, oh, come on. We are tempted to hold others to a different set of rules. We're tempted to accuse others while excusing ourselves. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. In the King James Version, I think everybody in our country has this one memorized. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Everybody's got that one memorized. They might not believe in God, but they got that one memorized. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Judge, don't judge me. Don't judge me. I do what I want. Jesus says, judge not. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And you might say, well, Pastor Keith, aren't we supposed to make judgments? Aren't we supposed to judge? And in context here, I don't believe at all that Jesus is saying for us not to make moral judgments. Okay? Sex trafficking, abortion, racism. They are wrong no matter how you slice it. They're wrong. And I don't believe Jesus, as we look at the context of this scripture, Matthew 7, is saying it all. Don't make moral judgments. What Jesus is saying is don't be judgmental. It's one thing to stand in the truth of what the word of God says, and it's another thing to sit in the seat of judgment. And when I say judgmental, what I'm saying is looking through the magnifying glass of the binoculars of judgment at other people's issues and shortcomings and faults, while at the same time putting a blindfold on your own eyes so that you can't see your issues and shortcomings and faults. That's what I mean by judgmental. Jesus went on in Matthew 7 to show that being judgmental is actually hypocritical. Here's what he said. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Ouch! You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is our responsibility here? Our responsibility here is to first look inward. Instead of using the magnifying glass of judgment or the binoculars of judgment, we're being taught to use a mirror to look at ourselves. Have you ever looked in the mirror, smiled, and you're like, how long has that been there? You know, you got lettuce or like yesterday's burrito or something in there. A chocolate bar was so good, then it filled every gap in your teeth. And you're like, oh, man. You look in the mirror, well, because you, gotta, you might have to fix some things. You might have to change some things. Here's a good rule of thumb. Before opening your mouth, look in the mirror. Before opening your mouth. In judgment of others, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Jesus had an interaction with the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 12, and he, he was interacting with some Pharisaical Pharisees who had no time for a mirror. All right? There was no mirror in their backpack. All they had was a magnifying glass and binoculars on that day ready to point fingers and ready to look down on other people for what they were doing. They had no time for that. 
they're too busy pointing fingers. And I want you to see then how Jesus responded to their judgmentalism. In verse 3, Jesus answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the people who were judging his disciples. He said, David entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. See, priests were designated to eat the consecrated bread. And when the bread became old, if they had not eaten it, it was to be pushed out, uneaten, and then they got new bread, freshly baked, that would be consecrated bread for that day. And what happened back in the Old Testament, without going into a lot of detail, is that there were some starving people. Starving people who showed up, and the priests, instead of throwing out the older consecrated bread, gave it to hungry people. And God honors it. Was that the rule? Uh, No, but there were hungry people, and the priest said, you know what, we're going to give you bread. Jesus went on with another example to these Pharisees who knew the Old Testament and said, Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. You see, the priests were commissioned to work on the Sabbath. Everyone was to keep the Sabbath day holy. and They they, they were not to do their exerting work. But yet the priests, they had the command, remember the Sabbath day, to keep holy, but they also were commissioned to serve in the temple and commissioned to worship the Lord and to help point people to the Lord. And Jesus is like, look, hey, are they following the written letter of the law? They're doing what God called them to do. And it might be different than all these sub-rules, but they're doing what God called them to, to serve and to work in worship to the Lord and to serve people. And Jesus says, and that is good. What he was saying is that you have made the Sabbath to be a bunch of rules instead of it being about relationship with God. And these Pharisees were so set on looking through their magnifying glass at other people and and through the binoculars at other people that they could not see Jesus. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, greater then that physical temple was built in the Old Testament times. That is a sobering thought. To face the reality that when we are looking through the magnifying glass of judgment at people, when we're looking through binoculars of judgment at people, we miss Jesus. What he is doing, what he's wanting to say, what he's wanting to accomplish, we miss his heart. And right there on that day, get this, Jesus was standing right there. And instead of the Pharisees looking to Jesus and falling on their knees or getting in his dust, these religious leaders who knew the Old Testament instead weren't even looking at Jesus. They were looking through their magnifying glass and their binoculars and they missed the Son of God that day. That, to me, is a sobering thought. Judgmentalism causes us to miss Jesus. I love that Jesus, after sharing some Old Testament background and teaching these Pharisees, went on and what he was doing is he was sticking up for the people who were being judged. He stuck up for them. And he goes on in verse 7 and says, guys, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, 
you would not have condemned the innocent. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That was the heart of God that actually was displayed and written multiple times in the Old Testament. That God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy is what pleases God. And Jesus said, if you would have got that, if you would get that, that God is calling us to show mercy, if you would get that, then you would not have condemned innocent people today. If you wouldn't have been so dead set on looking through your magnifying glass and binoculars, you could have had the opportunity to bless someone. Instead, you condemned and you accused. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's the heart of God to desire mercy. See, mercy is not just a feeling. Mercy is an action. It's kindness and goodwill towards someone with the desire to help them. And that, church, is the heart of God. Kindness and goodwill towards someone with the heart and the desire to help them. It's mercy. Jesus was teaching them in part one of this field trip to show mercy. By calling out the Pharisees, he's telling his disciples, he's teaching them as they're in his desk, like, look guys, this is the first lesson I want you to know, and that is we're going to show people mercy because it's the heart of God. I love field trips that didn't end just in the morning. You go back to school, it was a full day. Afternoon portion of this field trip. Part two of this field trip for Jesus and his disciples was going into a synagogue. We read about that in the very uh, next couple of verses, verse 9. It says, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Once again, these Pharisees, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I mean, they're trying hard. They're like, it's not lawful to, to pick grain. They shouldn't be picking grain, but Jesus is like, they're hungry. Like, just leave them alone. But it's got to be unlawful to heal. Because that's work. That's got to be work, right? That's got to be hard. Once again, they're trying to trap Jesus. And once again, they don't care about someone in need. They actually used a handicapped man as bait. Isn't that horrible? They used a handicapped man as bait to get Jesus to trip up. To get him to do something that, according to their rules and regulations, was wrong. So they could declare him guilty and cancel him. Verse 11, but Jesus said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. You see, the Pharisees were coming after Jesus to judge him. Jesus was going toward the man to help him. And he said, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Jesus showed mercy how? By once again sticking up for someone who had been attacked. Once again, Jesus sticks up for someone who is used as bait, someone who is being accused and condemned. Jesus sticks up for them and helps them. And these pharisaical Pharisees had their eyes looking through the magnifying glass and the binoculars so intently that they became angry. And at the end of this account, as you read, they were so upset that they went from judging someone to plotting how to kill Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, 
All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my teachings, my rhythms, my ways of life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. In the very first lesson, on the very first field trip, after Jesus invited them to come to him and invited them to learn from him, was the lesson to show mercy. You look of everything that Jesus could have taught them in that field trip, that's what he taught them. Show mercy. Kindness and goodwill towards someone with a desire to help them. Throwing away the magnifying glass and the binoculars and saying, no, 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 no. I want to see through God's eyes. First of all, God, i got to look in the mirror. What do you need to get out of me? What sin do I need to repent of? What issue, what, what doubt, what confusion, what is it you want to work in me about before I ever, ever look at others through your eyes? Christ followers should be known in the church and in the world, not for judgmentalism, but as people who show mercy. As people who show mercy. Mercy, And so at the end of this message, I just want to give three application points for us as we head into this new week. First one is this. Instead of judging a person's appearance, lean in toward the person. Instead of judging a person's appearance, lean in toward the person. Like who they are. What, what they are really, truly going through. Jesus said this and. John chapter 7, stop judging by mere appearances. Aren't we all easily tempted to judge people by appearances? See someone, hear something, get a sound bite from someone about someone, and we have our opinion. We've never met them. We might not even know their name, but we got an opinion. We can do that driving in our car, driving along and see someone like, oh, okay, our opinion. We can go into a store and see someone, maybe looks different, acts different or talks different. And Instead of judging someone by a person's appearance, lean in toward the person. Do you have all of the facts about that person? Do you know everything that they've ever gone through? Do you know what their insecurities are, what their challenges are, what their questions are? God, help us as followers of Christ to not judge people by their appearance, but actually to lean in toward the person. Number two, instead of judging a person's faults, lean in to their need. We, we can be good as human beings. We can be really good at just pinpointing faults in others, can't we? We can do that in marriage. Very easily. We can do that with our kids. Kids can do that with their parents. We can do that with people that we work with. Like we could, we could make up a list of their faults. If they come like, hey, share with me some strengths and weaknesses. You're like, let me start with weaknesses because I already have a list. I'm exaggerating, but I'm telling you, so for some reason as human beings, we have a tendency to go in that direction. But instead of judging someone's faults, lean into their need. In both instances in this account in Matthew 12, the Pharisees didn't care about the need, did they? In the first account, the disciples were hungry. They, they were starving. They were, they were I, I got to have food. I got to get food. Pharisees didn't care that they were hungry. In the synagogue, it gets even worse. Here is a man with a handicap, and the Pharisees didn't care 
not even an ounce of compassion for this man who had a shriveled hand. They just didn't care. If we don't care, we won't notice the need. But instead of judging someone by their faults, let's lean in to their need. Ephesians chapter 4 says we are to be kind and compassionate. Kind and compassionate to one another. Here's the reality. There are people all around us who are hungry. People all around us who are hungry. They're hungry for acceptance. They're hungry for love. They're hungry for a friendship. They're hungry for someone to listen to them. People all around us are hungry. There are people all around us who need healing. Yeah, and they might not have a shriveled hand, but they, they need healing in their heart. Maybe healing from their past. You know what I'm saying? Healing from a, an addiction or a stronghold, whatever it might be. Healing from abuse. Like people all around us who, who are hungry. People all around us who need healing. The Pharisees judged the very ones who were hungry. And judged the very ones who needed healing. Stark contrast to Jesus. Jesus came and showed mercy to both. He showed mercy to those who were being condemned and accused. He showed mercy to the man who needed healing. And number three, instead of judging how good you are compared to others, dwell on how good God is compared to you. Instead of judging how good you are compared to others, dwell on how good God is compared to you. Can you imagine if God looked through the magnifying glass at our life and binoculars and then treated us as our sins deserved? If God did that, you don't get your next breath. If God treated us as our faults and shortcomings and doubts and confusion deserved, we would not walk out of this place. We would not have even a sniff of heaven. Not a chance. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't treat us as our faults and shortcomings deserve. Then why would we treat others as their sins or faults or shortcomings or questions or confusion might deserve? Because God doesn't treat us like that. Why would we treat others like that? One of the best things that we can do as we seek to learn from Jesus is to take the binoculars and the magnifying glass out of the tool belt, right, and set it aside. It really doesn't do any good. It just causes us to miss Jesus. And depending on what we vocalize about what we see in here, it could cause others to miss Jesus. Instead, one of the best things that we can do is pick up the mirror this week. Before opening our mouth with our opinion about others, we pick up the mirror and take a good, long, honest look. God, what needs to get out of my life? What attitude needs to get out of my life? What areas of my life are not surrendered to you? As Jesus said, he who is perfect, let him cast the first stone. <laughs> None of us are perfect. Pull out the mirror. And as you're pulling out the mirror, pray, God, would you fill me with so much of your love for people that as I'm surrendered to you, then, then I, I, will, I will reflect your love to other people. 
Like, I, I'm going to reflect your love to people. That need. Why? Because these things are being taken care of in my life as I take a good, long, honest look before the Lord. And then pray and pray and pray and pray that God will fill you with such a heart, fill you with such love this week that you can show mercy to other people. Let me ask you this. Can you think of someone, someone that you might come in contact with this week, you already know them, that, that maybe you've been using binoculars or maybe you've been using a magnifying glass, and, and, but you're thinking, man, this week I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to show some mercy. Can you think of someone? Can you think, of, maybe it's a family member as we're in the holiday season. Can you think of someone that you're like, I, I need to show mercy. I, I need to show mercy. I need to have kindness and goodwill toward them with a the desire to help them. You might come in contact with some people this week that you've never met before that instead of judging them by the appearance, you're going to show them mercy. What a way to impact your workplace. What a way to impact your family. If we would but do what Jesus called us to do, and that is to show mercy, to stick up for people being accused, to meet needs for those who are hungry and those who need healing, to point them to Christ. I'm praying that God will give all of us an opportunity in these next three days to show mercy to someone. Sometimes those are scary prayers because I believe God loves to answer them. I'm going to pray that for every one of us, including myself, that in these next few days, God will give us all opportunities to show mercy. And we might be tempted to pick up the old tools but they're old tools. We don't need those. Instead, we picked up a mirror, and God fill us with your love that we might reflect your love to other people. And I believe God will answer those prayers. Would you bow your heads with me today? Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments.